something my mother said to me, which was shut up and eat your sausage, which means, you know, I didn't like sausages as a child. <laughs> so I would like entertain her by telling jokes and being funny. And I would be cutting up my sausage and moving it around and not eating it. And then my mother would be, you know, okay, after a while, but she was very busy. And she said, okay, Jane, it's enough now. Shut up and eat your sausage. And it also came to stand for, we've all got stuff we don't like to do. We have to do it and get on with it. I'm Kirby. And I'm Sarah. Welcome Welcome to to Los Angeles. Angeles. Welcome Glamgelinos. We hope you stay a while. (laughs) Cute. That's cute. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Happy first guest of the new year, Kirby. It is a very good guest indeed. Why don't you tell the people... Who the lovely Jane Warwand is. Yes, okay. If you're not familiar with who Jane Warwand is, surely you are familiar with the brand, the empire she has built. Jane Warwand is the founder of Dermalogica. Like everyone has used at least one Dermalogica product in their lifetime and has become obsessed with it. I feel like everyone has or knows like an esthetician who went to the dermatological like esthetician school or sorry not esthetician school professional skin therapy school because that is the term that they use they do not use esthetician and you will hear Jane's reasoning why in our interview with her um she started dermatologica like what was it 1986 or something like that like almost the year that we were born yeah, we were like right. literally in the womb when she started. So we're just as old as Dermalogica is. Yes. Dermalogica is turning 35 or is 35. Congratulations to Dermalogica. You're depend well, we don't know if you're a Capricorn Dermalogica, but and you probably need to be using retinol and eye cream <laughs> at this point, Dermalogica. Dermalogica's looking into the facelift in four years. <laughs> Dermalogica is going to Dr. Giacano in four or five years. Dermalogica was Googling threads this morning. <laughs> Dermalogica noticed that their hands are getting old. <laughs> oh, we're right there with you. We're right oh, there with you, Dermalogica. Dermalogica. We get it. We get um, it. But so aside from, you know, founding this incredible business, um, Jane Wormand is so incredibly successful in 2016 president obama appointed her a presidential ambassador for global entrepreneurship to develop the next generation of entrepreneurs in the usa and abroad wow i know she's also uh served as a special advisor to the u.n foundation's global entrepreneurs council um and she launched found la to fund mentor and offer unique incubator programs and educational resources for local entrepreneurs so she has a lot of advice and support um that she has given to people who want to start businesses like hers which is why she decided to write a book about it called skin in the game and jane tells us you know that's how she spent the pandemic um and the book launched just recently and even if you are not you know a beauty lover or looking to launch a skincare brand like this is something that I think we could all you know pick up and read and and um, learn a lesson from you know whether or not we're trying to like be entrepreneurs like I just feel like she is has so much goodness in this book for all of us to learn so one thing about Dermalogica like we mentioned it's been around for three decades and that's a feat in itself, you know? I mean, brands come and go. Some don't have any longevity. I do think it, you know, when you have been around for most of a person's life, 
that's a big deal. And many of my favorite products are from Dermalogica. Yeah. And also, too, like brands, you know, maybe have been around for a long time, but founders usually, you know, leave. They sell. Yeah, they peace yeah, out. Yeah, they peace like, out. I'm, I'm done. And Jane yeah. has, you know, is still here very much a part of every single launch. So, um, you know, that's a true testament to like the, you know, skincare lover that she is and how um, committed she is to Dermalogica. So... So on that note, enjoy this interview with the lovely Jane Warwand, and we will talk to you on Tuesday. Kirby, we are in the presence of greatness. We have a legend on the podcast. Total ledge. What a strong way to start the year. I'm very, very excited to have Jane on this podcast Woo! because anybody who is anyone that cares about skincare knows Jane, loves Jane, like saw the photo with Caroline Hirons. Had you ever met Ka- Caroline before? Because I was reading the caption and I felt like she was like, okay, it, it's been a long time coming. Finally met Jane. Yeah, I'd never met her before. I knew of her, obviously, and my sister in England, got three sisters, they're all in England, and my one sister is a huge fan. That was the most exciting thing I think she's ever seen posted about me in my career, because Sally, my sister, was like, oh my, OMG, OMG, you know, Caroline Hirons. I'm like, great, that's great, thanks. Oh so my god, I was great. I know, I was surprised, because Caroline came running in and like dropped to the floor, and I'm like, what is happening right now? But she's so fun, and we had a great <laughs> evening. Yeah, it was great. That's amazing. I also have to say anytime I have like, you know, a beauty sale at work or my sisters or anyone are asking me for samples, Dermalogica always, always. Love that. Love that. Thank you. Thanks. No, thank, thank you. you. It's, like someone praising, it's like someone praising your children and saying they're really attractive or something. You know, you're like, oh, thank you so much. I made that. They are very attractive children. <laughs> Very beautiful, very expertly formulated, <laughs> if you will. Thank you. Jane, I don't know if you know this, but we do a little segment on this pod called What's on Your Face. Is there anything that you're wearing currently that you just want to talk about? Because it's chef's kiss. It's just incredible. Oh, I love that. Yes, of course. First of all, I have to tell you, skincare for me is always Dermalogica because one of the reasons that we formulated Dermalogica with, amongst other things, no lanolin, no fragrance and no color right from the beginning was I'm allergic to all three of those things in a product. So for me, it's really specific. But however, I have other things that I love. Today, as every day, I'm wearing the Laneige Vanilla Lip Mask. Mm. I mean, that is a cult product, is it not? It's, it's so good. It's, it's so good. And honestly, you think that would be such an easy product to produce, and it's not, because to get the exact right feeling of luxe and a little bit of oil and not too waxy and not too shiny and not sticky, I think it's the perfect lip mask. I agree. Mm-hmm. The second product I'm wearing today on my face a new one for me, but I love it. I was just in London and I bought this new lipstick and it's by Giorgio Armani and it's number 302. And it is the perfect shade of orange red. And I've looked forever. I've tried everything from Maybelline Seven Universal Shades to Max Factor when I was in London, Bewitching Coral, Everything in between, this is the best orangey, corally red I've tried. So I am wearing that on my face as well. Oh, it looks beautiful. Yeah, you look stunning. Thank you. You know, I love that you talked about how hard it is to formulate a lip mask. Because a lot of people probably aren't thinking that's a hard of an endeavor, right? Yeah. It's why I think Bite Beauty, when they reformulated people hate their lip mask now. And that used to be like the cult. Yep. I used to use that. Laneige is obviously like superior and we love Laneige, but that bite lip mask, literally Jane, I think I have one from many years ago before they reformulated. And it's like, I should not be putting this on my lips anymore, but it's not good anymore. That's the thing that stinks. I know it was the agave, right? The, mm-hmm. the yeah, yeah, 
Yes, yeah, of course. So I literally, with my two children, we bought every, they did a holiday set right after they discontinued that product, or maybe it was right before, but it was the last place we could find it <laughs> online. And we bought like 17 holiday gift sets of three <laughs> bite lipsticks and one little size of the agave lip mask and forget the lipsticks I gave them all away not because they weren't great but it wasn't my shade but those lip masks we hoarded I think I still have about five and they're absolutely out of date but you know I had to find a replacement that brought me to the Laneige I don't know why they reformulated it we want to know how and why did you start a career as a professional skin therapist It started literally when I was in my school uniform. I walked into a local hair salon in a small town in the south of England where I grew up, pool in Dorset, shout out to the countryside. (laughs) And I walked into this small hair salon and asked for a Saturday job. And I was 13 years old. And they gave me a job, even though it was illegal to employ anyone under the age of 15 and a half. But my job was doing the laundry and cleaning up and doing all the other things that you can imagine the gopher in the salon does. And I stayed in that Saturday job until I was 18 years old and left high school. And in those years, I fell in love with the salon industry. And I also was exposed to the skin therapist, the esthetician that was employed by that salon. She taught me so much about skincare and I realized this is what I want to do. And so I went to study skincare straight from high school. I did a two-year full-time program and then a one-year apprenticeship, which was pretty typical at that time in the UK. And I've never done anything else. I don't have a university degree. Why would I? I wanted to have a skill set in my hands because I wanted to travel with something that literally could never be sort of taken away from me. That inspiration came from my mom, who was widowed at age 38 with four girls to raise. And she did it because she had a nursing training. And so she drummed into my three older sisters and myself, learn how to do something, have a skill set that will always be able to provide for you. So my older sisters went into nursing, I went into skincare, and it's been my career ever since. I remember hearing you say that years ago, and it stuck with me because I was like, if like everything goes like south, can I still survive with just writing as a career (laughs) or should I go back to school and learn a trade? (laughs) I was like, or or can I do something with my words? But no. And then can you tell us how you came to California, Los Angeles? Well, listen, it was 1983. The dream of most immigrants, I would say then, because I emigrated actually first to South Africa But that wasn't my dream. That was because I wanted to travel and get out of Britain and sort of, you know, travel and see the world. The dream was always to get to the United States of America. Everyone told me it was a crazy, impossible dream because it was and is incredibly difficult to emigrate to the United States and to do it, you know, that you get papers and a visa and all the rest. It's really hard. But I was determined, and I worked for an American company at that stage, Redken, now owned by L'Oreal, but then it was privately owned by Paula Kent Meehan, who was such an inspiration to me as a woman entrepreneur. And Redken was based in Los Angeles. And so I figured out a way that I could emigrate here. And I did that in 1983. And my thought was, um, I'll emigrate and I'll get to work in a salon. You know, I'll, I'll go to work in a salon. It's my career. I also had a teaching credential by that time. And when I arrived in Los Angeles, the only reason it was Los Angeles was because, A, I had already been here because I had come on a business trip for Redkin. And B, my boyfriend from South Africa had moved to Los Angeles. So there was a little bit of a carrot, you know, on the end of a stick there. That boyfriend became my husband, Raymond, and we started Dermalogica together. We're still together, 40 odd years together, and two kids later and a business. But Los Angeles and California, especially at that time, but I think always, there was this bubbling up of entrepreneurial energy. And there was an energy that was happening in California, especially then, that was so profound and so big. It felt so electric. And what we didn't realize then, but we do now, it was 
really tech. I mean, Silicon Valley was just taking off. Apple were just about to launch their very first computer. This whole idea of California being the hub of the world's attention and the Olympics happened in 1984, so literally the world came to L.A. All of that just coalesced into this incredible feeling of possibility. And so it's always been L.A. for us. We've lived here ever since. Okay, so why do you call yourself a professional skin therapist versus an esthetician? Are these interchangeable terms for you? Or why do you prefer professional skin therapist? Yeah, when I describe myself, I really only describe myself as a professional skin therapist. And the reason is pretty simple. I have never attached the word beauty to the work that I do. I've always seen skincare as very different from cosmetics. And I love lipstick. I just gave a shout out to a lipstick, right? It's not that I don't like makeup. I like cosmetics and makeup and all the rest of it. But I don't see skincare as part of that industry. I see us as something different. And I see us as part of the health and self-care industry. And I always have because having worked with so many people who struggled with, with what they considered to be skin issues, and they were acne, cystic acne, dermatitis, psoriasis, eczema, right down to, you know, skin diseases like skin cancer and, um, you know, things that can be very debilitating. I knew that they none of those clients felt included when the word beauty was used. They did not, for whatever reason, see their skin as something that would fall in that category. And yet, for me, our individuality and our authenticity begins with our skin. It's what we lead with, literally. It's the face we present to the world. And I don't think any one of us should feel marginalized by our skin, by whatever reason. And so I always worked hard to separate the work that I did from cosmetics or the beauty industry. And this is about wellness, self-care, healthcare. That's where we fall. And, I, and I'm very proud of the fact that I do think that we're starting to think of skincare that way as well. So when I got my first qualification, my initial qualification, it still says on my diploma that I am qualified as a beauty therapist, which is the official title in the UK. I didn't like that title. And I thought, well, well I'm not that. So what am I? And I really started calling myself a skin therapist. I'm not a makeup artist and I'm not in the beauty industry. The word aesthetician is a French word and it means an appreciator of beauty. So it also falls into that same category. So I never used that to describe what I did. And when I started teaching and we launched Dermalogica and before Dermalogica, the International Dermal Institute, which is our educational programming, which is unaffiliated to any particular product, although of course it develops Dermalogica. But I always talked about dermal skin, Dermalogica, Dermal Institute, and we are skin therapists. And one of the things of which I'm most proud, I have to say, is that I do think that that has shifted dramatically. And now, if you even look at the pandemic, skincare grew in double digits, whereas cosmetics, fragrance, makeup did not. And I think the reason is core to what I believe about skin therapy, which is there's almost a ritualization around applying things to our skin, touching our skin, soothing ourselves with comforting our skin. And I think that it was very profound during the pandemic. And it's also the reason why we are seeing an enormous uptick now in hands-on services given to you by another human being, which is what we do. We touch people with our work. And I believe that that idea of human connection is as even more important and as profound as technological connection. And in fact, I think you need both in order to be a survivalist in today's world. Listen, I, I want someone to touch me at all times. Like, <laughs> yeah. I want, I want a 25-hour massage. Yes. I want like an eight-hour facial. Just touch me. Even if it's like not even the best massage, I'm still glad I got it because somebody was physically putting their energy, you know, on my person and like trying to at least help me feel better about, you know, my day or my, you know, the aches and pains of my body. So I totally hear that. 
And I love, love, love that explanation too. Because sometimes I think, you know, on the flip side, like for Sarah and I, like when we do things, people refer to us as quote unquote beauty experts. And I literally hate that term. I hate it. I agree. Don't use it. Beauty is so subjective, right? And, but, you know, oftentimes, like, you know, Sarah and I don't use it to to qualify ourselves, but oftentimes, like, if we're doing, like, a TV segment or we're, we're you know, giving a quote for a story, sometimes people don't know how to identify us. They're like, well, they're beauty editors, but they're podcast co-hosts, but they're, like, all-encompassing of, like, talking about the world of beauty. There will always be one thing that says beauty expert, and I cringe or... <laughs> cringe even more when they say beauty guru. I'm like, listen, we're not appropriating guru. Okay. Like let's cut the crap already. Jane. Okay. So let's talk about Dermalogica. Been around for ebbs. Like I'm thinking of the sand long. (laughs) 1986. I mean, I was born in 1986. Okay. Sarah was a couple (laughs) of weeks late. late. Sarah was a couple weeks late. So like Dermalogica is basically as old as I am. Wow. Wow. Looking good. Dermalogica. Looking great. (laughs) So I want to know, like, what did you wish you knew back then that you know now? What was the most challenging part? I mean, that's maybe eight questions all in one. But I'm curious, like, the evolution of Dermalogica, now that you've been with it for so long, is there anything that you wish you go back and be like, Jane, listen here, sister. (laughs) I really need you to take this to heart. As an entrepreneur, and most entrepreneurs if they're successful, are optimists, I think. Anything that happened that was really kind of bad, I I think back on it and I think, wow, that was really bad. However, it turned out really well because it, you know, it taught me this or I learned that. So I'm sure there are tons. I mean, one of the things I didn't realize when we launched Dermalogica and Raymond and I, and I talk about this in my in my book, Skin in the Game, Raymond and I named the product together. And what we didn't realize is that for whatever reason, people would insert a T in the name. So Dermatologica is a common thing. I probably wish I'd sort of said Dermalogica and the T is silent. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm teasing. I wish I'd realized, because it just would have been helpful in how we built the company, I wish I'd realized that the internet was ever going to be a thing. This was unheard of. Remember, when we launched Dermalogica, faxes were like the big thing. That was fantastic. You know, you could send your handwriting or a picture of something over a fax machine. We thought that was a miracle. (laughs) This is before cell phones, remember. So we are going way back in the day to your birth year. And um, (laughs) so we didn't foresee the internet. We were working with floppy disks. And if I'd realized how communication was going to change, expand, explode, I think I would have actually been much more reassured in the early days, because think about it, we had to spread the word through word of mouth. We couldn't afford advertising. You know, one page ad in American Vogue in 1986 was about, I think it was 95,000, which was ridiculous. We self-funded the company on $14,000. There was no way we could take a one-page ad in one month's magazine uh, for 95,000, let alone you'd have to do an ad campaign, you'd have to do multiple issues, you'd have to do multiple mastheads, etc. So that was never going to happen. So we taught our classes and we spoke about Dermalogica and it was one on one. I used to fly to New York with a box of my products and just wait in the lobby of every magazine, whether it was Condé Nast, Hearst, wherever I was, wait for one of the beauty editors come out of the office or into the foyer through to the elevator so that I could jump them, you know, and sort of say, look at my product. And amazingly, it worked. I mean, that was kind of the incredible thing. So it was hard, bloody work. And I wish I'd known then, don't worry, Jane, just wait up, get prepared because the internet's coming and it will all be much easier. You'll be able to be on a computer, a laptop and do podcasts and it'll all be, it'll all be much better. Do you think it is harder to start a beauty skincare brand now or before in 1986? Oh, I think it's equally as hard and equally as easy for different reasons. I think it is equally hard because when we started it, we had to literally find people to tell. However, when we told them and I had literally applied the product to them, it was a much more solid connection. It wasn't a transaction. It wasn't just a fleeting moment on TikTok. It wasn't. So I feel like it was fewer people at a time, but 
maybe more solid in a connection. They knew me. They knew the product. So I think now it's hard, not because it's word of mouth, but because it's so crowded and there's such a lot of noise. You know, how do you cut through the noise? The only thing I will say is something that was said to me many years ago. Every industry is very crowded at the bottom. It's not crowded at the top. In other words, we all have to cut through a lot of noise. But cream rises to the top. I believe that if you're doing your best work and you're doing it with the right intention and there's a bigger reason that you're doing it other than just the dollars or the fame or the attention or whatever, if it's something that truly benefits other people in some way, I believe that always rises. I think it's as as easy as it was then, only because there is never going to be a shortage of new ideas. I see things, I'm more inspired now by what's happening in my industry and probably everyone in every other industry feels the same way about theirs, I would hope, because there's just constant innovation. And I see things all the time and I think, wow, how did, how did we never think of that? that was, that's great. I think the whole opportunity around the gender conversation is enormous. I think that the whole conversation around consumable products for the skin, what I call nutraceuticals. We once registered the name Neutralogica because we thought about this many years ago, but it was just way too soon. Uh, no one was thinking about swallowing your skincare, but I do think that that time is now and it's exciting. So I think for different reasons, it's as easy and as hard. I want to know, what was your big break? What was Dermalogica's big break? Was there a one shining moment where like, if you're looking back through all the clips of Dermalogica's life, it's like, this was the <laughs> moment. This put us on the map. Two things. The very first trade show we did, which was in Long Beach in Los Angeles County or is it in Los Angeles County? I think <laughs> in Southern California. Our very first professional trade show. And we hoped we would open... 10 accounts in the three days of the show and we opened 10 accounts in the first three hours and we had a minimum order of $1,500 which was unheard of in 1986 and I tell that whole story in the book but that was when we really felt oh my gosh this is something this actually is something so that was the first sort of green shoot, as we would say. But then I have to say, Kate Spicer, who's a journalist in London for the Sunday Times, very, very well-respected newspaper and magazine, Sunday Magazine, came out to Los Angeles to interview me. And, you know, British journalists are known to uh, pull no punches and can be pretty brutal if they wish to be. And Kate would not give us any idea of how it was going or what she was going to ask or how she was going to write the article. And my team actually said to me, maybe we shouldn't do it because it was so there's so much fun made of Los Angeles. It's so easy to sort of poke fun. And we all know the tropes about L.A. And if you don't know L.A., I suppose people believe those tropes of you know superficiality. But when you live in L.A. and you've raised two kids in L.A. and you've grown your business in Los Angeles, there's a whole other city and a whole other culture that people don't understand. But I said, you know, I'm going to take my chances because if she writes a positive article, it will be really important to us. And Kate wrote an article, three pages, and she called it The Woman Who Started a Cult. And it was my favorite headline ever and still is. She wrote a really great positive article about how when you start using Dermalogica, you just won't be able to stop because it's that good. And it's all about skin therapists, you know, using the line themselves and endorsing it rather than lots of paid advertising, et cetera. So that was a huge turning point because th there were enormous ripples from that piece because it was so positive and it could have been so bad. <laughs> well, I mean, you were so smart to move forward with it. And again, cream rises to the top. So I feel like she probably got that sense immediately speaking with you. I love how candid you are about everything. And so I want to ask this next question, because I feel like when it comes to Dermalogica, there's the science behind it, there's the efficacy behind it. Any Dermalogica product that we personally recommend, we never feel like it's gimmicky. We never feel like it's based off of like pseudoscience or anything like that. So that's why we are like such big supporters of your brand. 
Thank you. What are some things, of course, what are some things that our listeners should know about purchasing a beauty product? Like, are there some terms or some pieces of the pie on the package that are just simply marketing tactics that are meant to kind of fear monger and scare people or are not really important even? And, you know, what should people really be looking for in terms of purchasing their own skincare products? Because right now I feel like people are overloaded with information. And part of why we started this podcast was to kind of help people swim through it, get, get to the meat of it all. But I would love from your professional standpoint, like, is there something if you see it on a box, you're like, this means nothing. What is this? Well, there's lots. I mean, first of all, there's marketing attached to every industry. There's marketing attached to every product, whether it's a car or a breakfast cereal or a skincare product. And I get that. And I think we all understand that. However, I think there are some things which, you know, we should be adult about and aware of and say, you know, I, I see that all the time, but it's not necessarily meaning anything. For example, dermatologist tested. What does that mean? That means dermatologists tested the product, but it doesn't tell you what they thought about it when they tested it. So without knowing what they said, that doesn't mean anything. Secondly, okay, some dermatologists, just like any people, you know, that we're highly individualized about what we like on our skin. So that hypoallergenic, hypoallergenic was a, a term coined by Clinique. It's very clever, very smart, because what it basically has come to mean is excluding most allergenic ingredients, which is fair enough. However, that doesn't mean it's uh, that a product has excluded the thing you're allergic to. So, it, you know, it's, it's, it's okay, it's interesting, but it doesn't say this will be perfect for you. You have to try a product and you also have to understand what the ingredients in a product are. So if you're looking at an ingredient listing, you should be able to tell basically the, the ingredients that are in there and have a knowledge about them the same way that we do about our food. The same way that if I look at an ingredient listing on a package of food, I sort of know what a protein is, what a starch is, what a coloring agent might be, what a filler is, and, and things that could be, you know, nutritious and things that are not. And so I think that that's important in skincare as well. And the, the information's out there, it only requires us to do some research. The proof then is in the pudding. You have to use the product and you have to say, does this work for me? And at the very best, test it or sample it, because I'm not really sure that testers are ever going to be a thing again since COVID. I think that we're rethinking all of that. I also think that if you buy a product, you know, skincare products are not inexpensive often. And even if a product is $15 or $115, it, that is expensive to someone, everyone, you know, at different ends of the spectrum. So whatever you spend on a product, if you take it home and you really just don't like it or it doesn't work for you or you have a reaction to it, you should take it back. Don't at all feel awkward or embarrassed. This is your skin, your body. It's just like if you ate something in a restaurant, you didn't like it. You, you have absolute every right with, with respect and kindness to say, you know what, I, I, I misordered this. It's not right for me. And definitely, if you have a reaction, don't let your bathroom become flooded with products that didn't work for you and you didn't care for and you never saw a result. Take it back and you should be able to return it. And I feel very strongly about that because especially nowadays when you look at the price of skincare products, these are not small purchases often. And so you need to make sure that the product is going to be right for you. You know, I'm going to say that the way to help ensure that is to see a professional skin therapist who will look at your skin, touch your skin, really advise you who doesn't work for the company necessarily, but does work in their own business as an entrepreneur. And if you're not happy with what is recommended to you, their business suffers. So they're much more likely to recommend something that they know is going to be effective. And that was always the hidden engine, if you want, around Dermalogica was that the product wasn't sold, it was recommended. And Jane, what do you recommend? How long should we use and test a product before we really, you know, determine if it's not working for us or if it is? Like, how long should we test it? Well, it depends on the product. So for example, if you're using a cleanser, and it says it removes all eye makeup, and when you use it, it did not remove your mascara, or it did not remove your eyeliner, or did not remove that pigmented lipstick, then you take it back. It 
it's not going to work for you as a cleanser. You're going to have to add something else. Now, I always believe in double cleansing anyway. We, Dermalogica invented that whole thing. We invented it at the International Dermal Institute before Dermalogica, which is where you cleanse with a, usually an oil-based or a cream-based cleanser to remove those pigments because that's how you do it in a professional treatment, always have. And then your second cleanse is a foaming cleanser or a wash-off cleanser that will actually remove all residue. So you need you do need a double cleanse. I believe that strongly because even if you're not wearing any any tinty cosmetics, you've probably, hopefully, got a sunblock on. And an SPF 50, for example, which I wear every day, is typically water resistant. And you do need a cleanser to get it off. So cleanser, you're going to know right away. If it stings your eyes, return it. You know, how does that That can't work for you. And then some things are more subtle. If you're wearing a sunblock or a moisturizer, how do you know if that's working? Well, first of all, you do know if it can sting or cause a reaction. You're going to know that within 24 hours, typically, or at least three days. Return it if it does. Don't keep it. It doesn't make it a bad product. It just doesn't make it a product that's right for you. And then if it's something even more subtle, like a serum or a booster, which is sort of a more of a long-term benefit, because you're sort of typically saying, for example, we have a Power Bright system, which is for uneven pigmentation. You have to wait sort of for an epidermis, which is every four to six weeks to see a result. That's, that's the amount of time it takes for your entire upper layer of the skin, the epidermal layer, to be replaced. And so you need to give that a bit of time. But if after six Six weeks, you're not feeling that you're loving this product, I would take it back. And at least, even if the person, whoever you bought it from, isn't very understanding of that, I hope that they would be. But even if they're not, I would still leave it with them. I would say, well, I'm, I, you know, I can't use it, so I'm, I'm returning it. And I think now we have the power of social media, too, to say, you know, I think everyone realizes you're going to get bad reviews. So check reviews very, very carefully before you buy a product. And it doesn't mean that you should only buy a five-star review, even though that is, of course, great. But still read those reviews anyway, because you want to see what people loved about it, because that may not be what you're looking for anyway. So look at those reviews, read them, and then with the best intention in the world, check as you buy it. If this doesn't work for me, I would like to be able to return it. Is that possible? And take your lead from the person who's selling it to you. If you can't, then... You definitely want a tester or a sample. And if you can, make sure you got the name of the person and return it. I'm going to go return something. Like Jane told me it was okay, even though your your return policy says otherwise. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. So obviously this is a new year and you have lived through many skincare trends. I'm not trying to make it sound like you're old. You just have, you know, I'm 63. I mean, yeah, a long, long time in the industry. You are very wise and you, you know, have a very successful company that you started very long ago. And so, you know, what do you think and what do you predict are going to be really popular big skincare trends this year? It's especially difficult now to say this year because, as we know, that could turn next week if we go into lockdown. Because what I would say, there are a couple. The first thing I'm going to say, and I, we actually saw this as soon as we had any open up after a lockdown in any of our markets, the demand for in-touch services. Whether it's a massage, reflexology, a skincare treatment, everything from, from cupping to pedicures, we want human interaction. And that was obvious. We've now got salons and spas with wait lists for, for clients that want to come in and receive a treatment. Even the Medispa trend, which is growing and showing no, no sign of abating, even though it might even be using technology in the form of a laser, let's say, or, or even you know, a combination of laser and LED, etc. It's still being administered by a human being. And so there is some combination of a machine human touch. And I think that's becoming ever more coalesced. I don't think we want to go and just be plugged onto a machine. And I don't know that we necessarily only want human touch. We want a hybrid technology and a human being. And I think that's going to accelerate. And I think we're going to see more interchangeable products and modalities, equipment, and hand-given techniques 
kind of connecting together, kind of like farm to table. It's in food. It's still going to be a restaurant, but the ingredients where they came from is going to be a little different and a little more more appealing, I would say. The second thing I I know that we're going to see is um, this is going to sound a bit odd as I say it, but sustainability is a huge piece of what everyone in the industry is focusing on, especially around packaging and ingredients. And sustainable packaging and sustainability, I think, is going to be the new prestige. And it shouldn't be because it should be for everyone. However, it is very expensive to move into sustainable packaging right now because we don't have the scale that we have in other packaging so I know at Domologica, as important as ingredients were when we launched and we became more famous for what we left out than what we put in, because we excluded so many ingredients like mineral oil, lanolin, SD alcohol, et cetera, that same attention now we are putting on packaging. And to give you an example, sustainable pumps uh, don't use a coiled spring or ball bearings in the mechanism because those are not recyclable, reusable, they're not compostable, anything. So that move alone increases the cost of that pump. And it also isn't, to be blunt, at this stage, it's not quite as effective as the deep pump pumps with the spring. However, it is absolutely the way to go. We all have to take responsibility for the amount of single-use plastics we're producing and make our very best efforts to, to move forward in a more sustainable way. I believe that is going to be the new prestige because it's not for the faint-hearted yet. And the more we take the lead and be prepared to be first to market, the more affordable it will become for all industries. And, and I think every industry, whoever the leaders are in that industry, we have to take the lead and, and be first in. Totally agree. I love that you touched on sustainability. I feel like as consumers, we want it all, right? We talk about oh, yeah. know, having products that are you know, effective and then like yeah. having packaging that's not going to destroy our planet. But then yeah. we start complaining like, well, this pump doesn't work as great as my old, you know what I mean? Yes. I feel like we just have to have a little grace with it all. Like, yes, yes. we're figuring it out. We're, we're going to try to get there. <laughs> that's right. And be transparent about it. You know, I had a conversation with uh, a couple of manufacturers lately and we discussed this and I said, just be transparent with your consumer, with your customer, with your client, with your patient. Just say, look, I know you like the old packaging or whatever it might be. However, this makes it more sustainable. And for that reason, we really ask you to support it. And I think that people are incredibly motivated to get behind that rather than, why did you change your packaging? I liked it the way it was. And they, you know, it's crickets. They hear nothing from the manufacturer. We have to be very responsive to our clients about that because we're, we're all in it together. And none of us are perfect. We're all just trying our best. I think that's very important. Okay, so we have to talk about your book, Skin in the Game. Yay! Thank you. Congratulations, first of all. <laughs> Um, so this isn't, you know, a book about how to build a skincare routine. You know, there are other, you know, skincare founders, beauty brand founders, obviously they're all wonderful books, but your book is, you know, about how everything you need is already inside you. It's a book perhaps for, you know, budding entrepreneurs, people who want to start their own business. But can you tell us why you decided to write Skin in the Game and who is this book for? You know, I've, over the years, I've, I've often been told you should write a book, especially, you know, students who have been in classrooms with me, which is not quite the same as a consumer uh, who knows me perhaps only through the book now. They, they would have never known me, but I've been teacher all the way through and taught thousands and thousands of, of Dermalogica skin therapists who have many of them have said you should write a book and I never really thought you know what would I write about and and in the book I talk about the two sort of false starts I had on thinking oh this is the subject I'm going to write on and then deciding it wasn't I had to sit down and say what is the book that only I could write the same way that I always talk about in developing product what is the product that only Dermalogica would launch not what's everyone else doing but what what is it that we can do and I say to entrepreneurs what is the message what is the heat of your message the brand the product the name the concept that only you 
could do, only you could write, only you could create, or only you could bake. Try and dig for that and dig deep because it won't necessarily be the first thing you think of. And so when this idea came to me, I thought about, you know, our local entrepreneurs and, and 100% of all the profits of the book go to support local entrepreneurs through our nonprofit, which we established called Found, which is about finding those invisible small entrepreneurs. Those are the entrepreneurs that built our industry of skincare, the salon on the high street, but and also the baker, the dog groomer, the coffee shop. These local entrepreneurs make our communities and our neighborhoods. So I wanted to write about that. I also wanted to write about my career because my career is as an entrepreneur. And I wanted to kind of write a love letter to the industry that made me successful and gives more opportunities to women-owned businesses than any other industry in the world. And I just feel like that's often not talked about in our industry. I wanted to write down what our industry is truly about. And it's not about pampering luxury or indulgence. It's not about a vanity project. It's about human connection. And I wanted to make sure that somehow that got written down because, you know, the death rate holds steady at 100%. And so I realized I'm not going to be able to teach this forever. I better write it, write it down. <laughs> and, then, and then I thought to myself, you know, HarperCollins, who's the publisher, they kept saying to me, what, who's, the, who's the target market? And I know that you have to have that in marketing. But I kept saying, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, because everyone, you know, people with skin, entrepreneurs. Is, and it's not just women. I don't write it just for women. But what became so apparent is, for example, I'll give you the timeline. Um, I had a call with HarperCollins to discuss the concept of the book in December of 2019. I had a contract signed with them in January of 2020. They gave me a deadline of September 2020 to get the final manuscript in of 65,000 to 80,000 words. And in February, I sat down and thought, how am I going to even begin to write this? I've never written a book before, and I've got a very busy travel schedule. And in March, that travel schedule went out the window because we went into a lockdown. Oddly, COVID gave me the opportunity and the time to really sit down and write, which I did. And it was cathartic and, and I felt really grateful to have had um, the opportunity to write a book and also so also distraught at what was going on around me in the world and and humans being disconnected from each other. And, and so all of that coalesced into the messaging in the book. And what I realized now, we launched in the very end of 2021. I wrote this book, I now realize for everyone who's looking to have a reset in their life, whether it's a reset in a relationship, because I talk about exiting a bad first marriage, and how, how I did that, and how I got to the courage to do that. I talk about if you're looking for a reset in a career, then absolutely I talk about what it's like to self-fund a business on $14,000 worth of credit card debt and, you know, just praying that you're going to make it somehow and living off cauliflower cheese for dinner for a long time and not drawing a salary. If you're looking for a reset in, your, in where you live, I talk about moving cities, emigrating, emigrating and leaving your home country and what it's like to go to a new country. If you're thinking of, of emigrating an entire career shift and maybe thinking of getting a skill set, how do you do that? And how that famous word of pivot, I also talk about it's never going to be the new normal. There's no normal again. It's the new next. So how do you embrace change? And how do you get ready for that next big sea change? Because it's coming. It's coming to all of us. None of us can see around the corner it's not about balance. It's about resilience. And how do you build that resilience, that bravery, that courage, that even when you're scared to death and you don't know what the hell you're doing and you think you're an imposter, guess what? None of us know what the hell we're doing until the first time we do it. You know, you didn't, we didn't all suddenly come out walking. 
we had to, you know, get messy. We didn't even know how to control our bowels when we were born. So, you know, it's all a big mess. We're rolling around on the floor. We don't even know how to feed ourselves. And guess what? Somehow, barring a medical problem, we end up vertical, walking around, feeding ourselves, dressing ourselves, and having sort of semi-intelligent conversations most of the time. So <laughs> Semi-intelligent. Figure it out. And, and I just, my book is about encouraging everyone to do that. Never shrink yourself. I went to, I'll use the term that's on my diploma. I went to beauty school. I don't have a degree in anything. I'm not a cosmetic chemist. And um, I grew up with a single parent, my mom, raising four kids and working full time. So that could be a very tragic story if it was told differently, but it's not because in every one of us is an enormous big life that we we have the opportunity, hopefully, to live. That's who it's written for. Okay, I'm going to tag myself. I'm the person still rolling around on the ground, um, <laughs> struggling to feed myself. If anyone wants to help me uh, build a proper diet, that would be great. I can't live off of espresso for the rest of my life. Okay, That's hilarious because when she said that, I was thinking of Zoe, my 15-month-old daughter. So you and Zoe, Kirby. You're, you're a 15-month-old baby and you're a 34-year-old yeah, yeah. baby over here. Um, we love to see it. Love that, Jane. Where can everybody pick up Skin in the Game? Go online, go to your local bookstore, go to your local salon. If it's a Dermalogica salon, ask them to get it for you if they don't have it on their shelf. You, Of course, you can go to Amazon. You can go to any of the major booksellers, Barnes & Noble, whatever's online. Skininthegame.com will lead you there. And also the audio book, if you prefer to listen, or the Kindle, if you prefer, it's all available through um, HarperCollins, through Amazon, through all your booksellers. And I narrate the book, which I had to audition for. That should be on my resume, that I'm a proven audio book reader. So oh. I, did, I was worried I might not get the gig. You know, I thought, what if someone's better at being <laughs> me than me? Your voice is so lovely to listen to. I, and also, I cannot believe they made you audition to read your own book. Yeah, well, because you two know better than anybody. I'm sure that not everyone's voice, I guess, carries or translates or, you know, maybe the, the way it's recorded, it picks up weird international sounds in your voice. Who knows? But anyway, I passed it and I got the audition and I narrated the book and it took me nine bloody hours. So please don't forget to order the audio book. Yeah. Speed round time, Jane. Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah, okay. I think so. <laughs> We ask this of every founder, and it's just like, it's I don't just, know, choosing a child. But it's a rite of passage. We have to ask it. What's your favorite Dermalogica product? Uh, okay, I can't pick a favorite child, but there are some that you have more in common with than some of your other children, perhaps. Some that are, you know, you use every day or talk to every day. <laughs> so, yeah, Daily Microfoliant. Number one seller for Dermalogica for decades. I think one sold every 45 seconds. Uh, powder exfoliant, it's brilliant. And now we make it in a refillable container with a refillable sachet. It was one of our, so that was one of our first products we've gone that sustainability route. So that's definitely one of my babies that speaks to my heart. But if I had to grab one Dermalogica product before I ran out the door, it would be special cleansing gel. It was one of the first products we developed. It's a soapless foaming cleanser. It'll take off all your eye makeup, I promise. It doesn't sting your eyes. It doesn't dry the skin. It, and uh, you can wash your hair with it. We don't put this on the label. This is the off the label thing. You can wash your hair with it. You can wash your body with it. You can even, if you're staying in a hotel and traveling as much as I have over the years, wash your underwear in a hotel sink in it. It won't cause any irritation, but it is designed as a facial cleanser. So enjoy. We love them. Um, facial and fanny cleanser. Woo! There you go. We, we love a multi-use product. Wait, Sarah, what's your favorite Dermalogica product? Uh, oh my gosh. I think the powder exfoliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mine is Prisma Protect and... Okay, that one's a really good one and I also use that. I feel like that was my my wife at one point. Yes. You also love the, the new sunscreen. Yes, yours yes, is, yes. You're right. Yours is the new sunscreen. I, I'm a Prisma Protect girl through and through, but I love the Fido Nature Firming Serum as well. And that was a wife of mine when it first launched and it's really good. 
Sorry. By the way, WOIF is what's on your face, Jane. That's what it stands for. What's on your face. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's your WOIF. That's your WOIF earlier was your lipstick and the Laneige lip mask. So. I love that. Those are my, my WOIFs. <laughs> I love that. Well, I'm my, one of my WOIFs today is our new Power Bright, Power Bright SPF 50, which is also my WOIF. So but that's the, that's the one on my face that. We'll add that to the list. This is one we just added. If you failed your audition, who would you have picked, if you could pick anyone, to read your audiobook, who would it have been? Tilda Swinton. <gasps> oh, that's a good Can you know play you in a what? movie about your life? <gasps> Please. Okay. Please. Oh, she would be great. Please she would be great. That. Yeah, and you know, I'm Scottish by birth, and I believe she is, and she, I think she certainly lives in Scotland now. We've had other guests mention Tilda. I cannot who, who remember. Who was our other guest that mentioned Tilda? I cannot remember for the life of me. She's popular. I cannot remember. Was it on? I don't know. She is a very, people love her. Is there anyone cooler, really? You know, when I saw her in, there was a, a movie, a little quick movie that she did with David Bowie. Um, I thought my head was going to explode. Those are like my two favorite people and, and sort of interchangeable, gorgeous yes. talent as well. Yeah. 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 Tilda Swinton, please. Okay. What's your favorite <laughs> skincare ingredient? Ooh, um, any SPF 50, like any sunblock that will get you to a 50, whether it's a zinc oxide, a titanium dioxide, uh, an oxal, you know, benzoate, whether it's uh, whatever it is, uh, an SPF 50. I love it. What's your favorite piece of advice or lesson you give in the book? There are so many gems, but like, what's one that's, that stands out that you're like, okay, this has to be in the book. Oh, I think it was the first one I wrote down on my dreamscaping. I did, I always do like a written physical dreamscape board. And so for the book, I did pictures that inspired me, words, phrases, things I knew I wanted to put in. The first one I wrote down was something my mother said to me, which was, you know, shut up and eat your sausage, which means, you know, I didn't like sausages as a child. <laughs> so I would like entertain her by telling jokes and being funny. And I would be cutting up my sausage and moving it around and not eating it. And then my mother would be, you know, okay, after a while, but she was very busy. And she said, okay, Jane, it's enough now. Shut up and eat your sausage. And it also came to stand for, we've all got stuff we don't like to do. We have to do it and get on with it. And so I'd have to say that's one of my favorite phrases. My kids will burst out laughing when they listen to this because they know that I don't use the word shut up. I say enough now, enough talking. Now stop and eat your sausage. I'm going to tell that to Sarah when she's, we need to get her in line. <laughs> Sarah, enough. Eat the sausage, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I've got another one. I've, I've got another one for that. When someone has to get, you know, like sort of get in line, it's back in your basket. Back in your basket. Back in your basket. Back in your basket. I wish, God, I wish I had an accent. You need to make um, Dermalogica merch that says this, Jane. <gasps> Back, Back in, in your, your basket. basket. Shut up and eat your sausage. Love it. <laughs> On the front, shut up, and then the back, eat your sausage. Eat your sausage. Sausage. Okay. Final question of speed round. We want to know, who is your dream client? If someone out of nowhere said, I use Dermalogica, you would like pee a little. Tilda Swinton. <laughs> okay. It got to be, it, pick someone else because we already got Tilda reading. Okay. All right. We've got her. We've got a spot for her. My dream client of someone that said they used my product, who would it be? Liam Neeson. Oh. What? <laughs> oh. I, I wanted to do the, <laughs> How do <laughs> the voice. I, I love just, it. I feel like that's not far-fetched. That, like, you know, I, I'm sure Liam has used Dermalogica at some point. I, I'm absolutely positive of it. And that's my dream client. We get, like, a, a TikTok video. It's, like, Liam Neeson getting, like, a Dermalogica facial where he's, it's, like, they're applying, like, the daily microfoliant and, like. Oh, and he, like, narrates it. That would be great. A voiceover. Yeah. Kind of like it. in yeah. Taken. Yeah. yeah, love it, love it. <laughs> Done. We're Done. we're making that happen. Um, Jane, you are an absolute delight. Thank you so much for joining us on Los Angeles. Where can we find you, and where should we find Dermalogica? Oh, you can find me on Instagram, Jane Werwand. 
You can find Dermalogica on Instagram, Dermalogica. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter and Dermalogica on Twitter. You won't find me on TikTok, but you will find Dermalogica. We just see Jane one day in the feed doing like a dance to be like daily microfoliant. Yeah. I Listen, I'm never saying never. Who knows? But my my youngest daughter, Lucy, who's 22, she'll be 23 next month. She's always saying to me, you know, come on, Barbara Corcoran's on TikTok. Uh, I want you to be on TikTok. And I'm not yet, darling. Not, not, not quite yet. Barbara has really nailed the TikTok game. I mean, it's definitely her assistant, let's be real. But like, she, they, they, she is active. She's active. Like when the, the TikToks go viral and you're looking, it's like, oh, the NFL, Barbara Corcoran, like all of these people. It's like she's like uh, one of the board members of TikTok at this point. Yeah, she's she is all in. You can just see what she is committed, like whatever she's doing, she's all in. I love that. Me too. Me too. Jane, you're exquisite. Thank you, Thank you so much for joining us today on Gloss Angeles. Thank you. Of it's course. Everyone, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. You can find us everywhere at Gloss Angeles Pod. Join our Facebook group, the little Gloss Angeles Glam Gelinos, running amok over there, living their own lives. We don't even have to be in there as admins. Y'all just do whatever you want, and we totally approve of it. Um, you can also find every product that Jane recommended or talked about in today's podcast on our website, glossangelespod.com. You can even listen to our podcast there, y'all, if you want. We'll talk to you on Tuesday. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com